I see the hand of God. I see a dead child being received into the earth and a living statue rising from it. I see St. Martin sharing his cloak with a beggar. And I see Soldier Martin getting richer all the time. And all that he gets, he will share with us. Folks, welcome to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 152, and today we're going to be talking about Flesh and Blood. This great and fantastic film, a Paul Verhoeven classic, stars Rutger Howard, Tom Berlinson, and Jennifer Jason Lee. Or Lay. I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my very good and dear friend, Mark Hay. Has anyone seen my dog? Slower. Damn it, you stole my intro. <laughs> Sorry, I got Mark. He, he stole mine too. Ah. <laughs> All right, but just for that, hey Steve, will you um will you scratch my codpiece? <laughs> Son of a bitch, slower you stole my line for Ken. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I, I think we've seen this movie way too often. And uh, also joining <laughs> us, and also joining us is our other good dear friend Ken. Where is my codpiece, Slaproni? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to miss my codpiece because it's extra large. It is. It's very extra large. Oh gosh. Uh, well, folks, I, I'll tell you what. Our other good and dear friend and. Co-founder of the podcast, uh, Jeff Muncy. I have no idea where he is. I have no idea where he's going to come back. I, you know what? I actually think he's done a, uh, a a Snowden and has defected to another podcast. I don't have any confirmation of that, but I think that's the case. So um, I've got a contract out on him. So there you go. I heard he was trying to cut a deal with the Russians. I think he is. I think he's on some Russian podcast, and it's it, it's honking me off. So, uh, so there you go, folks. We're going to be talking about Flesh and Blood. And as I mentioned before, this is a Paul Verhoeven movie. This is 1984 or 5, I believe. 85. And 85. And I'll tell you what. This is uh, it's one of the oh, excuse me. It's an older movie. And I think it's one of Rutger Hauer's, uh, you know, one of his early movies that he was doing. And this is going to be a good discussion, guys, because I, and, and I'm just going to say right off the bat, sorry, I don't have the uh, the classic Man Cave movie intro to this one. Um, I should have had it because we've had plenty of time. But uh, uh, anyway, things came up. We just didn't get around to it. So... The background to this one is a, a band of medieval mercenaries. Although it's not medieval, they're more like Renaissance era. Uh, mercenaries take revenge on a noble lord who decides not to pay them 
and they kidnapped the fiance of his son. So, anyway, initial thoughts, guys. What do you think about this one? I've got a lot of things to say, so I'm going to open it up to you guys. Why don't you lead off, Mark? Well, um, darn it. I was going to say, Ken, great. You go first. Uh, okay. Um, initial thoughts. This is an a, this is not your this is not your typical Hollywood medieval movie, um, especially for 1985. Uh, it, it, as you said, Steve, it's set in the uh, probably the, the early mid probably the mid Renaissance Italy when the conditories and the mercenary bands were stomping up and down the Italian peninsula that, and um, it, it is atypical for the period because unlike Excalibur or Robin Hood type movies that most people have seen, this one is um, pretty nihilistic and I, I'm not going to say it gives you an accurate feel for the medieval, late medieval, early Renaissance period, but, but it shows it shows the very base side. I made a note. I think I said the age of faith, the age of butchery. Uh, it, it is a very base movie of people with with an attitude of just living for the day. You know, it, it follows a mercenary band, and it's men and women, conditory type mercenaries, who um, are not really people you you are rooting for. Matter of fact, there's not. There's, there's really no one person. I guess you could say, uh, I think it's Stephen, the, the son who is trying to regain Agnes, which is Jennifer Jason Leigh, right. um, could be considered the hero, but he's so damned annoying um, that this is one of those movies that I, I enjoy, and yet while I'm watching it, I'm kind of waiting for all of these people to have very bad things happen to them because I don't feel I, and this is fine. I, it's meant to be this way in the movie. I don't feel any compunction for sadness when bad things such as the bubonic plague or, or being butchered or tossed in a fire or, or whatever occurs to them. It, it's a very gritty movie. Um, and it's also a movie for our listeners that it's it, if you think it's an adventure movie you can show the kids it's not no <laughs> no no um it's got some great actors uh we, we mentioned a few um i think this is a great flick for rutger hauer it's one of paul verhoeven's better movies i i have i am not a fan of paul verhoeven's later works but this this is a good movie it's got rutger hauer jack thompson who if people have seen breaker Morant, played the attorney Brian James, who was also in um, in Blade Runner with Rutger Hauer, uh, it, it's got some good actors and a lot of European actors. Um, but it, it's it's an off I guess offbeat is the best word I could use type of movie. It's an atypical period piece, um, and and I'll just end with that because I'm like you, Steve. There's a lot of ground to cover on this movie, but it's it, it's unique in its presentation. Right. And, you know, and really kind of what you said, not to step on Ken, but one of the things about this movie, too, is that 
like you said, is very base in, especially at that time. I mean, there are some scenes that are uncomfortable, and uh-huh. it really pushes the envelope big time. I think, especially for that period. I mean, you watch some of the scenes today, you're like, yeah, whatever, we've seen this before. But for that period of time, it's like, wow, that's, that's wow, that's pretty rough. Ken, what do you think? And it's not, it's not, a, it's not ahistorical in that sense either. You oh. know, you storm a town and it's, it's, hey, we got, we're going <laughs> to loot and rape and pillage and burn. Yeah, exactly. That's what it was. And it's, it, yeah. I mean, and parts of it, yeah. you're watching it and you're like, wow, this is, this is pretty rough to watch. And then you realize, wow, this is really rough to watch when it was 30 years ago. So, Ken, your thoughts? Back in the 80s when this came out, I can remember several friends saying I needed to go see it, and I didn't. Uh, although it came out on cable and ran for a bit, and I, I saw it back then at some point, but I hadn't seen it for a long, long time. A few things to sort of mirror and stress things you've already said. You know, it's set in you know the Middle Ages, about 1500, if I had to pick a date, uh, somewhere in that point. It is gritty. It's unlike so many medieval or medieval-ish movies that people see nowadays where they throw in a a comic element or a uh, fantasy element. You know, like I'll use Game of Thrones as a counter to it. Uh, This is probably as nihilistic and despicable as Game of Thrones, but it's set in the real world. It's not fantasy. There's no magic. There's, you know, it's just the real world. Something Mark said that jumped out at me while I was watching this is that it's set in an age of faith. I mean, like it or not, right or wrong, whatever you want to say, I mean, these people are like, to a large extent, although they're pretty low life, they're still sort of religious believers, and a fair amount of what they're doing is driven by, you know, some form of religious, you know, omens or beliefs or whatever. Uh Nowadays, I don't think they would, you know, if Hollywood was making this movie nowadays, I don't think they'd dwell on that element or they'd just ridicule it and move on. Uh, you know, to, you know, as a counter, one of my least favorite medieval movies, uh, King Arthur, I, I won't go any farther. <laughs> Acting is good. The scenery, I mean, the, the cinematography and all, I think is well done. The music, I mean, I forgot how nice the music was i will say i'm going to throw out a term which i don't think is really a real word but to me the music was conan ish well you know why don't you i think it's the same guy did it basil polydorus did the music did he really wow you know i didn't even notice that but you know what you're right it's it's very reminiscent of conan which was just a couple years before this so i liked it uh I, you know, being a history buff, I really appreciated the idea that, like, we're going to show the warts and all view of what was going on. And you are right. I mean, there's no real good guy. But, I mean, I still cared about these people. I didn't want them to suffer. Uh, I would like to see them succeed. But then again, they're scumbags. They'll slit your throat for a, a you know, gold piece. So. It is, it is a funny movie to try to really get attached to, and there's just not many like it. Well, and I think because, and you made a good point, Ken, I think the, the reason that there's not a lot like this is because there's no good guy to root for. I mean, like Mark said, Stephen is about the only guy 
And, you know, that's questionable. I mean, he's, he's kind of an iffy character himself. Yeah, and he is annoyed. Yep, and he is annoyed. And the other one who I guess you kind of root for, but he's as ruthless as anybody because you had to be if you were going to command a mercenary army, is um, Hawkwood. Well, you know, the thing of it is, is that he really, I didn't ever got, I never got the impression that he was that ruthless. I saw him more of... I, I, I saw him more of a guy. He he had a mercenary army. He was more of an honorable type of guy, but I don't know. He he still was going to cut a deal to get paid. Yeah, I mean, my Especially my take on him was that he was probably born and raised a nobleman mm-hmm. with all the you know chivalric ideals, but in the end, I mean, he'd seen a lot of hard fighting as a you know mercenary commander, and. You you see it in the movie. He there's times he's trying to do the right thing. He'll he'll take time out to try to do the right thing, but then he'll also take time out to backstab. Well, in each face off, there there was I think they, Verhoeven I think tried to emulate very loosely, very being the operative word. Yes, there was a very successful mercenary commander in this period known as John Hawkwood. Yes, and there's an excellent biography about him, and he was. Probably the most successful mercenary commander or commander of conditory armies of the period, um, who, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to put 20th, early 21st century value systems on these people as well. Um, so I, I, I agree with both of you. He, he will do what is necessary um, by his code, I guess, would be the best way to look at it. Well, and I think one of the reasons that I think – our, our contemporary people like ourselves have a hard time looking back at these type of wars. I mean, the, you know, the soldiers and the people that were fought, I mean, they were, they were not motivated by patriotism or nationalism or anything. It was, they were motivated by money. I mean, you raised armies and their payment was you get to loot the town for a while. Well, people have to remember, these are not national armies as we know of them as standing armies. Right. You, you would either raise your nobles would bring armies to the table for a period of time, or you would hire armies out. This this is before the the age of what we would call state or national armies with codes of conduct. And even then, you know, if you read enough history, you know, codes of conduct go out the window. Right. Um, so yeah, you're right, Steve. Th- these are you need people to campaign for you if you have gold, if you have promises of plunder, because, you know, that even continues into the Napoleonic era. You know, Wellington, it, you know, the, the, what most people may not realize is all the way up to the Napoleonic era, if a city sat under siege and after a certain point, you know, honor was honor was agreed to that you, you had nobly defended for a period of time, and if you went beyond that period of time, um, the, the understanding was if we get in, it's open season for 24 to 48 hours. And that, that even that occurred all the way into the Napoleonic era. The British right. Army, when it sacked some cities in Spain and Portugal that were under French control, that the, the Brits went and the Portuguese went on to terror. Yep. So that's not uncommon. It's, this is not an unusual historical circumstance. You know, and that's the thing about this movie is that I think this is one of the few that really shows 
you know, the, the, the grittiness and the ugliness of that era and, and, and pretty much how rough it was. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, and it also shows, it also shows something that you don't see in most movies are the hangers on can be just as brutal um, as anyone else. Yeah, follow these armies. Right. Well, yeah, your camp followers. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Who are quote unquote? Who are quote unquote laundresses? Quote unquote. <laughs> yes. There's Indeed. always laundry that needs to be done. Of course. Always. Of course. <laughs> of course. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about some of the actors. Obviously, the the main one in this one is Rutger Hauer. He plays Martin or Saint Martin, as they keep referring to him as. And I don't know, guys, what do you think about his performance in this? Ken, what are your thoughts? I thought it was solid. Uh, He, you know, he has a, I mean, Rucker Howard has a charisma and presence about him. And the character he's playing, I thought was believable. Uh, He's a guy that, you know, He's looking out for himself. He's also feels some responsibility for his, you know, cohorts that he's with because they look up to him. But he also, you know, he's easily distracted, for lack of a better word, and very impulsive. I mean, he just does. He just when the wind blows, he blows along with it. Uh, but no, I thought he's good. I, I didn't check to see. I'm, I'm imagining he was about what thirty when he did this movie. Is maybe a couple years after Blade Runner. Um, well, he was born in 44, so 84. Oh. So 41, 42. Oh, he's, he's older than I thought. Yeah. Okay, well, still, I mean, he, I, I thought he was fine in the role. Uh, and the role, I mean, he doesn't have to do a whole lot of stretching, but I thought he showed, I mean, his acting showed a fair amount of, again, some inner tension and indecision and things of that sort. Well, I'll tell you, the, the thing that got me about him in this role is, like you said, the guys looked up to him, but you could see throughout the whole course of the movie, he was he was really kind of playing a certain role because he didn't have complete control over everybody. I mean, there were there was something there that he didn't have complete control. No, he didn't. Yeah, I mean, and it was like I I've got a I got a loose band of guys that yeah they look to me but you know what any little thing could set these guys off and he's and it does and it does and it does does a couple times yeah it's 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 you know it's the old what it is it's very reminiscent of a pack of wolves yes he's the alpha he's the alpha as long as he can maintain being the alpha. Until somebody else becomes the alpha over him. And he's also, to, to both your points, I th- and I think he does a very good job of this in the movie, he, he's trying to, to do what he thinks is, I'm not going to say, I'm going to use the word right in a very loose way, the right thing. But this is a guy who really doesn't want, he has, people follow him because he's successful as a buccaneer, um, and a mercenary, but he's not, 
what I would call, he's not Hawkwood. He's not terribly smart. Yes. He's cunning. And so when he kind of gets thrust in this role, he starts to struggle a bit. Um, and I think what's interesting is there's another character in this, in the movie, the Cardinal, who is there, how, how shall I say it? Who is there? Um, spiritual priestly, leader. Spiritual advisor, yes. He's their spiritual advisor. Wow. This is a guy you don't want as your spiritual advisor. <laughs> who, jeez, um, who he kind of relies on to, like, look over and say, are you, if you fight, am I doing okay? Are we good here? Because he needs this guy's um, messianic vision, and it all—it's all built around. They find a statue of Martin, Saint Martin, and it—it it goes from that kind of starts this whole adventure because they need something to latch onto to. to uh, believe in after they've been turned out of the city for looting and lost everything. And so the, the Cardinal plays a very critical role in the organizational structure of the band and the, and the purpose and the merit of, of uh, Martin's decisions. Since he's Martin and then we have St. Martin, the statue that they start hauling around. Uh, when you say that, that those two those two need each other for their own agendas after a fashion. I agree because I think that's what you saw is that remember when they found the statue and, and you could almost see, and that is the thing about Rutger Howard. You could almost see what's going on in his mind with his facial expressions, because when everybody's like, Oh, we found St. Martin, everybody's like, Oh, and he goes, you know, I was named after him. And then boom, uh -huh. and next thing you know, everybody's looking at him as the leader. And you could see throughout the course of the movie, if you're paying attention, how he does things and does certain things that plays on that whole concept. Yeah. I've got to throw my one little bit about the, that character, the Cardinal, which is, <clears throat> yes, he's sort of a spiritual advisor and he has a key role in the movie and all, but also he's has to be a total fraud because, yeah. you know, in 1500s Italy, a cardinal was, I mean, their term, I mean, their nickname was they're a prince of the church. There's yeah. like maybe, maybe 20 of 20 cardinals in Europe at the whole time. And these are people of immense wealth and power and authority. You know, they lived in palaces. They had retinues. They weren't dudes hanging out with a band of mercenaries. Yeah. I mean, uh, Friar right. Tuck, or some monk might, but, right. but not a cardinal. So the fact that this guy's sitting there in his red rope saying, I'm a cardinal, it's like, he's a fraud. He wouldn't be there. He, and that yeah, was the thing in the back of my mind the whole movie, going like, you know, this guy's just a pretender. He's just he's faking a, it like these other guys. Or he's a defrocked priest who got a hold of some red the, robes. Yeah, stole the cardinal's robes after he got caught with his hand in the till or something. Yeah. Uh, and, but you know, yeah, the there's God, a backstory there which they didn't need to go into. But just the fact they're calling him a cardinal tells me, like, there's eh, something funny going on with this guy. Right. But Ronald Lacey, who plays that role, does a terrific job with that character. And this is a guy who's got messianic tendencies. Yes, yes, he does. Yes, he does. And, and guys, speaking of Ronald Lacey, do you know who he is? All right, enlighten us. 
Oh, guys, you didn't see it? No. He was the uh, 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 Shisa. Uh, he was the Gestapo dude in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, the one oh. with Ken Roney. He was Ken Roney? He was Ken Roney in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Ken, that's your We didn't have the glasses on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was it. And he had hair. And he yeah. had more hair. Yeah. It's him. Yeah, that's he was a uh, major tote. Yeah. <laughs> major tote, yes. Exactly. Uh, unfortunately, kill them, kill them all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Actually, unfortunately, he passed away. And guys, I'm gonna tell you right now: if you go through the filmography of a lot of the people that are in this movie, they're all dead. A um, lot of them are. Yeah, a lot of them are. As a matter of fact, uh, Ronald Lacey died at the age of 55. He's a young guy. Yeah, that's yeah. It's, now, you know what? It's getting younger every year, isn't it? <laughs> no, no shit. Now, real quick, I want to I want to get your opinions on Agnes Jennifer Jason Leigh, because that character is central to this movie in many yes. ways, and I'm very curious what your thoughts are about her as an actress, but especially her character in this movie. Ken, do you have any thoughts, or, or do you want me to jump in? Well, I, I'll throw it out there. I think okay. she's a she's a fine actress. I mean, is she like a massively great actress? No, but she's solid. She's put out a lot of good work. What I think she did here is, you know, she's she's a my take on it was she's a young noble noble woman raised in the age of Machiavelli. And, you know, she's probably been brought up with, you know, uh, one level to be prim and proper and everything of that sort, be a good wife and a good mother. But she's also exposed to all the skullduggery and backbiting and treachery that the Borgias and other folks in this period are known for. And so when she finds herself in a bad situation, she just does what she can to survive, which is pretty reprehensible what she's doing. I mean, she's pretty conniving and cunning and duplicitous. Uh, and then there's also the element that there's a tremendous amount of scenes where she's just basically walking around naked, which in 1985, for just a mass market movie, was pretty risque. Yeah. But it's a bunch of, a lot of that going on. But, you know, the, the, for listeners, I mean, basically she, you know, she gets captured and, you know, the, the, this group's going like, oh, great, we're going to hold this, this noble woman captive. And then she goes to work on Rutger Hauer and the other people in the group to keep them from hurting her, but also to try to eventually foment things to her advantage. So I thought it was a very interesting character. You know, is she lovable and likable? No, but... For somebody in a bad situation is making the best they can with a weak hand, she does a pretty good job. Well, but you know, that's the thing, Ken, and you brought up a good point. Is she lovable or likable? I mean, I like, she's actually the only person you're rooting for in this movie because, you know, she is, she has been thrust into this horrible situation and it's like, well, let's see, I can get pretty much raped by this one guy or I can get raped by nine guys. Well, I'll go with the one guy who will protect me if I've got to, you know, give it up to him, fine. But 
you're right. I mean, she does play that whole conniving thing where she's playing everybody against each other, but it's all about surviving. Yeah, but I, I think she, you know, yeah, since she knows how to manipulate everybody, I think she could give Lucretia Borgia a lesson or two. Yeah. Well, you um, know, and I, 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 I give Jennifer Jason Leigh an actress who turned, who has had a solid acting career. I give her a lot of credit in this role because she's very believable. There, There's parts where I kind of groan, you know, at, at some of her turns of acting. But she does a very good job of using all of her wiles and charms and cunning to manipulate the situ- a bad situation into the best situation she can get at the time until another better opportunity presents itself. Now, would it be fair to say in the opening scenes where you first are introduced to her, you know, everything is making you think, ah, this is just some ditzy noble girl. Okay, she's pretty, but, you know, there's not much there. And then when she gets captured, you can see the light go off in her head, go like, I got to step up my game here. I, I thought it was just a little sooner than that, frankly, Ken. Anybody who digs up Mandrake, under the rotting corpse of a body to to um to pitch okay. to to try to and snare you know, their betrothed. Yeah. yeah. Anybody okay. who will Yeah. That part I'm like, wow. Okay, you're okay, right. That's I'm, creepy. Yeah, the er, the early scenes I was thinking she was just a ditzy, you know noble. But no, yeah, you're right. But once you get to that, she's She's gonna she's gonna turn things to her advantage one way or the other with any situation with whoever she's having to deal with. Yep. Well, and let's just talk about that scene real quick. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever been around a rotting corpse. Um, they stink. Really, among other things, really bad. And they're bloated by three or four days. Yeah, and 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 I I'm just talking about animals I've run across. I'm not talking about humans. So, yeah, the fact that they could actually just have this casual conversation with the, the two rotting corpse. Yeah, no, no. Human We're going to have a picnic. We're going to have a picnic under a corpse. I was waiting for the white cloth to come out and God knows what. <laughs> so it was, I'm like, wow, really? <laughs> Tell you what. Uh, well, there's stories being there to be made, but good Lord. But, you know, that kind of set the tone. This whole movie doesn't pull any of those punches throughout. I mean, people die in bad ways. Yes. People get raped. People get murdered. People get burned. You know, the baby scene at the beginning. That, oh, you know, gosh. Yes. There, Guys, I, we're not going to give it away to the viewers, but there is a scene where if you have a small child or an infant, this is not going to be something you are you're going to be very uncomfortable watching and it but i think in a way it shows the relative cheapness of human life at this point yes because people well, are very pragmatic about it because well, people also, die all the time right death was all around them and that's actually very true everything you read or hear about how people were in this day death was i mean it it came at everybody at the strangest situations. You see it in old paintings of the period where there's, you know, death or skeletons lurking off to the side just to show like, you know, you know, live your life as best you can because, you know, you won't be living long. 
But I did love the opening of this. The whole it opens up with the scene of a siege, and it was sort of reminiscent of the beginning of Gladiator. Yes, to me. Yeah, yeah. The whole idea. It's the cameras just sort of panning along. There's all sorts of people doing all sorts of stuff, and you don't know who who is who who's like the key characters. I mean, it'll linger on people here and there, but it takes a while before you figure out who this movie is really about. But you know, there's a lot of action. It's a you know. Big battle, a big siege, but uh, it sets a lot of the tone right there within the first couple minutes. Yeah. So what did you think of some of the other characters? I mean, you know, let's mention Brian James, who everybody, if you've seen Blade Runner, you know, he was, you want to talk about my father? You want to talk about my, about my mother? <laughs> oh, I'll tell my you mother? about my mother. Yes. Yeah. I'll tell you about my mother. What's a tortoise? You know what a I... turtle is? Yeah. I liked him. I mean, I like Brian James. He, there was something yep. about that guy. He just he always brought a certain presence to a movie, and I thought he was great. Did you notice Bart Simpson was in this movie? No. Who? Nancy Cartwright played one of the whores. Oh, son of a bitch must pay. Seriously? Yeah, she played Kathleen, one of the whores. Yeah. Oh, my what? God! Yep. Bite me. Bang! Yeah. Nancy Cartwright, a very young Nancy Cartwright. Holy wow. And then one that one that I didn't get was Bruno Kirby. Well He's done a lot of work. I know, but it's just he just kind of he was like, That's Bruno Kirby. Yeah. Yeah. He's dead too. He's dead too. And then remember, the one I thought who and she passed away and she was a she was a character actor who did a lot of work. Was the Susan Terrell who played Celine? She, she was great in that sense of the hardened camp follower. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She was kind of rough. You think? Yeah. But then weren't they all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she played it better than the others did. Yes. Oh yeah. Now, what do you guys think of um, Tom Burlinson who played Stephen? My my thoughts are, I mean, I like the guy. I mean, I thought he was fine. Um, I, I don't look at this movie as like I'm getting great performances, like acting performances out of people, but I thought he was pretty good with that, with what he had. Yeah, I but think yeah. That the, the character was, the actor was saddled with a character who was annoying as shit. Yeah. yeah, but the thing about the character is he is, you know, literally a renaissance man. Yep. This, yeah. He's a true believer, like we're in a new age of renaissance and renewal and science and, you know, philosophy. But he's, at the same time, he, that's the world he wants to live in. He keeps getting dragged down to, and, you know, you're going to be ruling the city, and we got to loot it and pillage it first before you get it. Yep. He doesn't like being who he is. Right. Well, he yep. even admits, he goes, I'm not a soldier. You know, he's he's more of a scientist. Yeah, you're right. He he is. And while we're on that topic, you know, the there's a scene in the movie, and we're not going to give much away because a lot of people probably haven't seen this movie, where he's leading an attack on on the um, on the castle, uh, and I I applaud Paul Verhoeven for a very unique siege engine. Um, my mind just boggled at that, even in even in the 16th century or the 15th century, whenever this takes place, of the extending 
the extending siege engine. That was um, that was entertaining to watch that whole thing unpack. Yes. Get a um, well, it, it almost worked. Yeah, except somebody forgot to guard the base of the siege engine. No shit. Yeah. I mean, that. I mean, there are parts of this movie where I'm just like, seriously, no one's over there watching the back. Right. Really, guys, come on. Yeah. Well, the the one I loved was the uh, the the uh, bomb. You know, the the wheelbarrow bomb <laughs> to open the gate. Yes. I mean, it was a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> just work execution. Out. Execution. Yeah. As execution, yeah. But you know, the guy was—he had good ideas. It's just—he was learning. He's young. He just got back from school. Yeah. Yeah, I got. But it was kind of funny to me. It's kind of funny the whole thing of like that. You know, the whole scene of like, okay, son, here is your new bride, Jennifer Jason Lee, in all of her <laughs> hotness and glory. And he's a uh, cooties, cooties. I don't. I can't. I can't deal with girls. Got to yeah. do my studies. I would set my books aside. I'm, I'm Wesley Crusher. <laughs> I don't have time for this. I I can easily say I, if if I was a young man and somebody said, "Hey, here's Jennifer Jason Lee for you," I would say, "You know, I can make time." Uh huh. <laughs> a lot of time. Uh, I'll tell you what. Just real quick about her. The thing I liked about her character is she actually looked the period. She wasn't that, you know, gosh, what, you know, the model look or that. I mean, she just, she was like that next door girl look about her. Yeah. Yeah. She was, you know, and that's the thing I've commented. I think we've all commented. It bugs me when I'm watching some movie that is set in the past and all the people in a movie look like, you know, they just stopped off Hollywood Boulevard. Right. I mean, the women, the, the female characters right. all are like all aerobicized and everything. The men are all buff and burly, you know, or metrosexual, whatever you want. But, you know, it's this was, the, you know, she, you know, maybe she had to work at it, but she looked appropriate for the age. Right. Well, and she looked like any, she looked like a person. Yes. Back to your point of not being, but I mean, she was, she was not unfit in any way, shape, or form, but she also does not have the requisite boob job and all of that work. She, you know, she's a young lady in her 20, early 20s when this movie was shot in the mid 80s, and she looks like a person, not a Hollywood construct. But this is a movie to warn the folks, um, don't, don't, you don't need your young kids to watch this movie. Um, because there's full frontal nudity in this movie. Repeated. Yeah. Repeated. I mean, it's not unusual in a movie that they throw in, okay, we're going to have a full frontal nudity shot just to, like, set the tone. And this one's like, we're going to have a shot, not a shot, not another shot, maybe a few side shots and a few back shots, but a lot of frontal shots. Mm-hmm. And we're not so it's a disturbing movie. I, mean, I would not recommend it for kids. No. Yeah. And, and, it, and they, there are lingering shots. This yeah. is a quick shot. It's like that's 10, 20, 30 seconds of, uh, you know, of nakedness. Thankfully, we're not seeing guys' junk hanging out. I mean, we, we, we did avoid that. No, actually, they did. I don't know what version you saw, but there was junk. when they were. Oh, burning. was there? Oh, gosh, the scene when they were burning their clothes. 
Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, you're right. I forgot about the jump. That you're right. Yeah, there were there were there was kielbasa hanging I, all over the place. Dude. <laughs> Come on. I I had I had I had savaged that out of the out of the ram. I know. I mean, I'm still. I was pouring bleach in my eyes the whole. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. All right, guys. Let's move on real quick. I want to talk a little bit about some of the trivia because there's some good stuff here. But uh, they said that Paul Verhoeven and Rutger Hauer had previously collaborated on five projects. However, tensions rose so high on this movie, they've never worked together since. Yeah, because I guess what? Rutger Hauer was afraid he was going to, between this and um, Blade Runner, get typecast as an anti-hero. Yeah. And he, he, didn't, he didn't want to be... Um, that moral ambiguity really didn't play to where Rutger Hauer wanted to go with his career. Right, right. Uh, let's see. I like this one part because this actually really kind of describes how this movie is. Uh, it says the movie was Paul Verhoeven's reaction to many movies that, in his view, overly romanticized uh, this period of time. He wanted to show it as a natural period where brutality, disease, poverty, and hardship were common, and natural death was a rare thing. Yeah, uh, he, he covered that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, especially when we get to the part with the bubonic plague. Yep. And I think that is really well done in this movie, is when people realize the plague has struck the utter fear. Yes. That just rip, rightly so, that yeah. rips through through the the mercenary band. Yeah, right. technically, I don't think it's an accurate portrayal of bubonic right. uh, epidemiology, but it works for the movie. Right. And I think, you know, it, it kind of sets that tone of um, a true fear of knowing that this is the worst. Po- they can accept the fact that their lives are nasty, brutish, and short in the sense of... Uh, you know, combat and the lives they live, but when this unseen, horrific way to die occurs, everybody goes batshit freako. Uh, let's see here. I like this part here. Actress Jennifer Jason Lee, who played Agnes, said the castle they were filming in was so cold uh, that during her numerous nude scenes, her hands and feet would actually turn blue. Wow. I couldn't tell. I, I, I could tell it was cold in the castle, but uh, we won't go there. No, no it's shrinkage. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Natasha Kinski and Rebecca de Monet, bestow my heart, were considered for the part of Agnes. Uh, de Mornay was rejected because she demanded that her then-boyfriend, Tom Cruise, oh, shit, really? Be cast as Stephen, Jennifer Jason Lee was ultimately handpicked by Paul Verhoeven. Thank God. I didn't know that. Rebecca, Rebecca De Mornay could have carried, she's got that. Oh, my. She's got that snake-like charm. She could have carried that part of the role. Oh, yeah. Oh, good Lord. It would not have been a re, actually, with her, I think it, Risky Business came out a year or two before. People would expect her character yep. to do that. In oh this, my God. like I said, initially you're thinking, oh, what a sweet girl. And that's like, oh, she's not so sweet. Oh, my God. Can you imagine her in that role? Holy crap. Wow. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. She would have been. I mean, Jennifer Jason, I'm not taking anything away from her. She she presents it in a more, aren't I sweet and innocent role. Yes. Rebecca Nabourne would have presented it as a very calculated effort oh. and done a very good job. Guys, I might need it like five minutes to have a cigarette. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but, uh, let's see. This was Paul Verhoeven's last project in the Netherlands for two decades. He attended the Dutch Film Festival during which the film premiered, and he took a plane to the USA the very next morning to direct his American debut of RoboCop. So there you go. Which, which I like RoboCop. Well, the original is the original, and all the other stuff is shite. So I yeah, then, I won't they, argue. Didn't they do a reboot last year? Yes. Yeah, I'm not. And they it. had there's a bunch of sequels and all. But no, he did RoboCop. Then he did Total Recall, Basic Instinct. He was on a roll, and then in 1995, he decided, I think I'll do Showgirls. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then. And then he did Starship Troopers. And that's when, that was the downhill slide of Uh, Paul Verhoeven. I I keep bumping into people that like Starship Troopers. It's Uh, horrible. Horrible. Did they ever read the book? Well, that's it. That's just it. Well, Verhoeven admits, I mean, he didn't read the book. He went like, I want to do some sort of space marine bug thing. And, hey, there's a book. It'll sell more tickets. And we'll do that. Bastard. Oh yeah. He he took a, he took one of the most classic sci fi movies and Wow. Made bastardized one of the worst bastardized it. Not bastardized it, turned it into one of the worst movies ever made. Yep. Well and also he hated the politics. He didn't understand what Heinlein was trying to do in his book because he didn't read it and I don't he didn't understand Heinlein. So he didn't understand what what Heinlein was doing in that book either. Right. Yeah, so, so he, he decided, said, like, well, these Heinleins are Nazis, so I know yeah. Nazis, so they're Nazis. Yeah. Right, yeah. So you can get to see Doogie Hauser in his uber summer beer or trench coat. Right, <laughs> and he, he basically recycled his Total Recall um, special effects. Awful movie. Which is a shame because he'd done some good uh, There's stuff of his I like, and I like this movie. But it seems as he went on, he kind of suffered from the James Cameron effect. The more successful he came, the more crappy his movies became. All right, folks, uh, that's it with trivia. We are now moving on to Brother What You Drink It. All right, Mark, I heard you have a fantastic beer review. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think my statement was when I took a sip of it, ooh, ah, oh, am I going to review that beer? Uh, okay, I will. Um, because I usually, I really like this brewery. It comes from New Belgian, the New Belgian brewery out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And I, I wanted, you know, the weather's warming up and it's, it was a nice day today. And I thought I'd get a light beer out. I've enjoyed a nice, um, a nice Hefeweizen earlier. And so I pulled, grabbed a New Belgium Skinny Dip Beer, which I'll read to the side. It says, take a blunt, plunge with Skinny Dip, our brewed tribute to the lightly attired summer months Cascade Hops Frolic with bready malts for a crisp sip as a refreshing as a freshwater dip. 
perhaps a freshwater dip and a jar of pickle juice. I don't know if they were trying for an IPA. There is no malt in here. If there's bread, it's stale bread. It's just... It's just real for a you know for a, a, a warmer weather kind of beer. You you don't you don't expect unless they say on their IPA to get assaulted. But you know what I mean by assaulted? I, I mean assaulted. assaulted. Yeah, uh, I guess if you kind of like that, it'll work for you. But I wasn't anticipating it. I'll drink it, but it's it's bitey and bitter. Um, so be warned if you go for the new Belgian skinny dip, it's you you know you might as well just tie a boat anchor around your ankles before you go skinny dipping with this beer. It's whoa, oh god, I, I'm just gonna choke it down. Ugh. It's watery too. Okay, that's my beer. Yum. Oh excuse me. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. I picked this one up because I saw it at the over, uh, the favorite liquor store. It's called. Does it have a? Does it have two le- numbers? And is it relates to an amendment? Yes, it is. Ah, yeah. it's the Tenth Amendment. All powers not reserved to the federal government are therefore reserved to the states. Oh, I thought it was the Thirteenth Amendment, something about slavery. But go ahead. Yeah. So anyway, I saw this one uh, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. <coughs> Good lord. And it's called Books and Brews. And uh, okay. these guys are out of... Oh, God. The hiccups again. These guys are out of... Oh, Indianapolis, Indiana. For the love I love of, that town. Yeah, I love that town. And uh, I'll tell you what. <clears throat> so I picked up the... Uh, it's called King Lear's Fool. It's... It's a Belgian-style golden ale with lemon peel. Okay. Does a lemon flavor come through? It's okay. Is it a lighter beer? Yeah, a little bit. It doesn't sound like it's a ringing endorsement. Well, let's put it this way. I went to a liquor store today and I bought one of these... And it's like the big pint bottle. God, mm-hmm. Fucking hiccups. I bought the big pint bottle and a bottle of Jack Daniels. And the the, the tab was was like forty bucks. And I was like, really? How much is this beer? Well, the beer was like thirteen ninety nine. Holy crap! Yeah, and it's not worth thirteen ninety nine. Is it a pint, six ounces? It is one pint and six ounces. Okay. Thirteen ninety nine. Yep. And that's what I get for not looking at the freaking price tag when I go and buy it. Dumbass. So, oh my god. It's not it, it's a good beer. It's not worth thirteen ninety nine. Yeah, but you're gonna choke it down because you spent fourteen bucks on it. No, no, don't get me wrong. It's a good beer. It's not worth $13.99. But, okay. but, gentlemen, it does come in at, according to the label, 11% ABV. 
Wow. And the state rests. Is it a dark beer or is it a lighter colored beer? Oh, no, it's very light. Okay. Wow. That should, like, clean your taste buds off. And something else, your lower track. You know, the thing of it is, is that for 14 bucks, I was expecting a little bit more. I'm a little disappointed. Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't put it back. No, I mean, it. I mean, it's a good beer. I don't think it's that good. Is it? Do, or do you even have nice artwork on the bottle? We got that going for us? Seriously, did you actually see this bottle and you actually asked that question? Because I just had, I just thought of that. Because actually, it looks like something my daughter drew. <laughs> oh boy! Wow! Really? Okay, so we're going. Th- wow! All right, so there you go. I mean, it's good beer. I I, I recommend it. I don't recommend spending thirteen ninety nine for the pint. But it's wow. it's yeah it's. Yeah, that's good. Wow. That's a little rich. A little bit, yes. All right. All right, folks. Last and certainly not least. It's now time for Flashback Friday. Shit, wrong one. Sorry. (laughs) It's now time for Catching Up with Ken. All right, Ken, hit it. Uh, probably the highlight of the past couple of weeks that we've been off uh, was last weekend, Friday night, met up with some friends, went down to the Stutz Gallery Tours uh, down at the Stutz Building, which is an old auto factory that my grandmother worked at. It's a big event, a lot, you know, all the various art galleries that are there are open. They've got music. They've got food. Uh, we met up for drinks beforehand, went up, a group of us, about eight of us. Uh, didn't see much of the whole show because we'd walk about 25 feet, and then somebody in our group would meet somebody that they knew, and we'd sit there and talk for a while. Then we'd walk a little bit more. Out of the, like, you know, 100-some galleries, I think we went to four. But uh, it was a fun night, and then when that was done, we went to – we tried to go to the Raskeller, but it was packed. So we went to the Libertine, which is down the street on Mass Ave, and hung out there, uh, talked and chatted and just caught up and had some drinks. But it was a very nice night out. It was probably the highlight. Uh, I mean, I had some other stuff going on. Hit a few other bars and restaurants over the past week, but don't need to go into that. Nothing major. Was it, was it packed because it um... – you had uh, Polka Boy or somebody down at the uh, Raskeller? Uh, you would be exactly correct. It was Polka Boy at the Raskeller. And, it, you know, uh, one of the couples that got there first got in, and they texted back, one like, hey, you can't even walk in this place, so we decided we'd go someplace else. I would, I would just say to our listeners, if you're ever in Indianapolis on a Friday or Saturday night and you're looking for something to do, the Raskeller has an Incredible beer garden, great food, great beer at great yes. prices, and they have this outdoor concept 
concert venue. And if Polka Boy is ever playing, it's a huge polka band. Actually, a neighbor of mine, when I used to live in Indianapolis, plays trombone in the band of trumpet. They play all the 80s hits, 70s and 80s and 60s hits in polka style. It, as Ken said, it is packed because they have a huge following because they are so freaking awesome. Would you guys yeah, agree? I mean, they all, there's also other groups that show that have a big following. Yep. Yeah, Polka Boy is always a solid show. They're a big, they're just a fun show to watch. Yeah, they're great guys too. Just great guys. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. So what else did you do, Ken? Anything interesting? Uh, well, Real tonight quick. I went down to uh, the Brass Ring for happy hour and met a couple of girls I know at Cropachon at Bidaboul, the French restaurant. Walked out, bumped into some other people we knew, hung out, and then found, wound up just hitting Starbucks and came home. And uh, when I got home, I made a Stoli vanilla and Diet Coke. Nice. All right, here we go. Clips, 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 clips. All right, number one. Who wants a drink? Me <laughs> boy. Forget the flesh of Christ. Let's drink. For Christ's sake, silly, get your heat up, piss out of here. Kneel. <laughs> Come on, you bloody bastards. This stuff will curl the hair of Christ. Wow. That's She's the, about as irreverent as they as you could be. Yep, she she was great. You know, you got all the mercenaries kneeling before her, taking communion, and she's like barreling about with her pregnant belly, trying to get these guys drunk. So mm -hmm. that's my kind of woman. All right, let's see number two. Stephen, you stay right here with Father George. Why? Fighting is for fools. <laughs> uh, number three. I didn't see the damn thing. I did, sir. Bless you, Mark. Your award's in heaven. I'd rather get paid sooner, sir, if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines of the movie. I'd rather get paid sooner. Nice. Uh, let's see. Oh, I think I, I actually heard this. You know what, Mark? You and I probably heard this uh, this quote before. That belly is getting really fat. Yeah, you're the one who gave me this belly, Martin. Yeah, me and the whole company. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what happened to us. Yeah, right. Uh huh. You say that to your wife. Go ahead. I want to watch. <laughs> All right. Uh, next one. Yeah, I, I, I've learned. You know, I'm not even married, and I know not to say such a thing. Mm-hmm. You know what? That's why the Renaissance was such a great period, right? Sure, if that's what you want to say, okay. go ahead. Yeah, I'm just going to move on from this. All right, number five. St. Martin is the only saint with a sword. He used it to cut his cloak in half and share with a naked beggar. Well, there you go. Uh, let's see, number six. Did it also say... Why you have to dig in this particular spot? The nuns linked out that passage very carefully. When a man is hanged, he comes and his semen spills to the ground. That's where your mandrake sprouts. 
See, that was that scene, Mark, we were talking about where they were by the yeah. young. Wow. It's like, yeah. Okay, so you guys could actually handle the stench of rotting corpses. And I'm going to eat a root that is sprung from a man's semen. Mm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I want to show you how much I love you. Yeah. You know, that that's not even in spin the bottle or truth or dare. Nope. <laughs> not going to happen. Mm-mm. No. But it was an age of faith. They had faith that that would work. Yes. Yeah. That was, it was there. There you go. There's Ken with. That's it, Ken. Yeah. yeah. All right. Our Ecclesiastes here. Yeah. Thanks, Ken, for <laughs> cleaning that up for us. Wow. Thank you, my son. Uh, yes. <laughs> You're welcome, Cardinal. Yes. All right. Next. Bleeding is totally useless. The practice of bleeding goes back to the Romans. It's a tried and tested remedy. Oh, the graveyards are full of your tried and tested remedies. And I think actually that was, I pulled that quote because I thought that was pretty interesting is that it's that old school thinking is like, well, we can't try something new. And right. God almighty, how they, they, they probably killed thousands of people just doing the bleeding thing. Millions. Yeah. Gosh. Well, they they oh, did yeah. the best they could. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not the exact same thing, but I've been watching a miniseries that's set in the Middle Ages, and I mean, they're always coming up against things like, well, you know, he's, he's received a hideous wound. You know, we must bind his soul with the earth by giving him a dung poultice. <laughs> yeah, let's just... Push. And then there's people on the side going, like, a dung poultice? Are you sure? Oh, yes, it's a, you know... Scientifically proven, the you know method of cure. All right, uh, last quote. What's your problem? Oh, I have to choose. Take both, you silly bitch. Yes. <laughs> that that's was when they're looting the castle. Yep. And that's what she said. And they're going, "What do I do?" It's like take them both, you dumbass. <laughs> yeah. You're obviously new to this job. <laughs> yeah, because yes. Yes. Oh, no God. one's going to care. Yeah. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, that is it with clips, folks. So we are now moving on to the top movies of 1995. I think that was the year this came out. So, Ken, it's all yours. Well, technically, it's 1985. What Not 1995. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm jumping ahead. Okay. It's 11% alcohol. Yes. Yeah. I believe. 1985 was the year that Mike, that Roger Moore stepped down from the role of James Bond and Timothy Dalton stepped up for a while. It was a transition. It was. All right. Ken? But. Proceed. Number 10. Spies Like Us. Uh, Are you serious? That was a top ten movie? That was a top ten movie. Oh no, Spies Like Us was uh, Chevy Chase, I, Dan Aykroyd, I, Donna I, Dixon. I hate to say, but I, I helped make it a top ten movie, and I walked out of that movie going, what the fuck? I, I did too. I. <sighs> well, okay, proceed. That was a day when the... Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd 
could, you know, film themselves clipping their nails and it would be a box <laughs> office success. Yes. Yes. Uh, number nine. A movie that's actually gotten a lot of buzz lately. The Goonies. Oh, yeah. The Goonies is awesome. Yeah, my kids love The Goonies. Oh, yeah. I remember yeah. seeing it at the theater. They're doing a remake, or they're doing a sequel with the original cast. Really? Yes. Oh, I'll go see All of that. them are coming back. Oh, I'll go see that in a heartbeat. Yeah, I mean, wasn't it like Spielberg and Richard Donner or somebody like yep. that? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, two Spielberg powerhouses Rich. in the 80s. Yeah. And it, you know what? It. I, I watched it with my kids, I don't know, about a year ago. And, you know, they're teenager and they're both teenagers now. And it's still goofy. I, I I just I enjoyed it. It was still it, it was a great callback to goofy, fresh, you know, boys' own kind of adventure fun. It's innocent fun. Yeah, it really it, is. It's what every twelve-year-old yeah. boy wants to do: is discover a pirate ship. Yes, I mean it. it I I will I will go see the sequel. What else, Ken? Number eight, witness. With Harrison Ford. Never saw it. Uh, it's Harrison Ford and Kelly McGinnis. Uh, Harrison Ford's a hard-boiled cop, but he witnessed, you know, to for, I forget the exact details, but he has to go undercover in Amish country. Yeah. And the guy who played um, the bad guy in Die Hard, oh, Alexander Gudinov. Oh yes, is is in this movie as well. It's it's a Peter Ware movie. It's it's a solid movie. It's not great. Yeah, it's got Danny Glover as a corrupt yep. cop. Yep. So you know, yep. and also Viggo Mortensen was in it. So yes, he was very wow. young Viggo Mortensen. Yeah. Wow. So it's. I mean, I like Witness. I mean, it's not awesome, but it's a solid movie. And it, again, it was a top eight, number eight yeah. ranked movie in that year. Number yeah. seven was Jewel of the Nile, which was the sequel to Romancing the Stone. I like both of those movies. They're just uh, goofy throwback to the 40s adventure fun flicks. Yeah. The original was better, but Jewel of the Nile was yes. okay, and it did quite well that year. Yep. Now, Romancing the Stone is a fun movie. Yeah. If you haven't, if if you're listening and haven't seen it, get it and watch it. It is funny. Yeah. We were talking about that recently. Um, yeah. Oh, well, we were talking about uh, oh shit, high uh, risk. Not not high risk. Uh, oh shoot, the Wild Bunch. Yeah. Uh, the one guy, the lieutenant from the Wild the, from the Wild Bunch, a Mexican lieutenant, was the drug runner in Jewel yep. in uh, Romancing the Stone. Uh, but but again, good movie. It is reminiscent of the high risk, and I I like high risk. And people go like, "What's high risk?" It's a movie that came out in '79. Good cast showed up, disappeared, but it's a fun movie. Uh, number six, Cocoon. Uh. Yeah, pretty much. In its day, everybody thought, "Oh, this is a celebration of the human spirit." Now it's like. Uh, number f- number five, a cumbersome and pl- well, it's like a like an elephant on the Serengeti. It is plotting. 
out of Africa. Of Africa. <laughs> Date movie. The only way a guy got to see that movie was they got forced to go. I actually, when I got Netflix, I went like, I've heard about this. I, I, I heard it's uh, a good movie. I'll, I'll get it and watch it. Went, oh, gosh. Ugh. It's like the English patient before the English patient. It, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Beautiful. I mean, beautiful cinematography. Yes. But Stunning this, cinematography, but God. Plotting, it's a, it's a chi- chick flick. It's a chick flick, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Color Purple, number four. Enough said. Move on. Number three, a movie I think we all have seen because it has that famous line of, I will break you. Rocky Four. Nice. Is that is that the one with the Soviet? Yes. Dolph yes. Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren. Plays Drago and Brigitte Nielsen. Yes. Hot off her success in Red Sonja. Plays the commie commissar. It's so cheesy, it's fun. Yeah, it is. It is just pure cheese. It's, as Steve would say, it is a schlock movie, but it is schlock art. Yes. That's, that was pure propaganda for that period. Oh, yeah. Height, height of the Reagan era. Well, you know, that was the number three movie, and obviously it starred Sylvester Stallone. The number two movie starred Sylvester Stallone. He was hot in 85, because then that was the year he did Rambo, First Blood, Part 2. Oh, yes. The nice. fir- I like the first one. After that, until we get to Rambo when he's in Burma. <laughs> the, the, the one, a couple years ago. Yeah, I, that's actually a, that's a man cave movie. Yeah. Both- Once you get... Rambo 3 just went off the rails. Well, Rambo 2 wasn't too far behind it, but First Blood is a good movie. First Blood is good. First Blood, I mean, Rambo is still good. It's entertaining. But then by the time you get to to Rambo 3, I mean, I think there's a scene where it's like, you got Rambo on an open plane with like an AK-47, and on the other side of the open plane is a Soviet motor rifle battalion. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, well, that motor rifle battalion's dead. <laughs> and they did. Yeah. He just like, boom, the, blows the whole I thing always, up. Like, no, Rambo's dead. You know I mean, kill I always, him. I no shame Rambo. in that. You're outclassed. Right. Uh, but I always get Rambo 3 and Cobra confused. How can you? Cobra's <laughs> I'm just saying this so bad. Cobra's They're... horrible. <laughs> That's it. Sylvester Stallone in the 80s was cranking out movies, and they were almost all successful, but a lot of them were really bad. Well, they're like they're like Schwarzenegger when yeah. he was cranking out shit like Commando. Well, yeah. it's the same time. I mean, this yeah. is, they, they were parallel. Yep. But it was the action thing. That, that's what they right. did. Right. Yeah. 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 They should have teamed up back then uh, at their height. Yeah, they did. And number one, a movie I really like, Back to the Future. It's entertaining. I like it. I like the whole Back to the Future series. I think it's well done. I like the characters. The last one was kind of running out of steam, but, you know, 
number one and number two are pretty good. Yeah. So that's about it. Not a great year for movies. No, yeah. but I mean, we we went to several. I mean, I'm not telling you. I don't think you and I went to any of these, but no. As a group, we saw a number of these in the movies. Oh yeah, I remember. I can remember who I was dating when I had to get suffer through out of Africa. She wasn't worth it, was she? Well, you know, there are things you do because of things that you hope for. And one does not always equal the other. And I'll leave I'll, it at that. I, I, it, it's something that sparked the memory here is today when I was having dinner and hanging out afterwards before coming here, I have a, a female friend who is, you know, she is, I, I've invited her. Like, you know, we do this podcast, and you're welcome to listen to the podcast, but it's the Man Cave movie review, and, it, you know, it's men that do it. She's like, well, I want to do it. I'd like to be participating in this. And I had to explain the fact it's a man's Man Cave show. You can't do it. She right. was still blowing me some shit tonight about that. You're like, I ought to be able to do it. You know, it's unfair. It's sexist. Like, yeah, it is sexist. My analogy was, if you and your girlfriends are sitting around a bar and some douchey sleazy dude plops down in the middle of you and starts like saying, Hey, I'm one of the gang. Do you hang out with them? And it's like, well, hell no. We're like, yeah, same thing. This is, this is our thing. I, I equate it to like George Pickett in Gettysburg. We're a gentleman's club. Yes, we are. Yes. You know, and, and if we wish to remove ourselves from the rest of society, so be it. Well, that's it. It's a freedom of association. We associate with each other, but that doesn't mean we have to associate with anybody that comes along. Right. Oi! So there we go. We're done with the top ten movies of 1985. It is now time for the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist of this great and fantastic film. Number one. Did anyone jump out of a window? I don't think so. Well, no. Yeah, because there were no windows. Remember? But I will. But I will say this is the first movie I've ever seen someone, other than Santa Claus, climb down a chimney and climb out of a chimney. Good point. You're right. Yes. That would have been a lot more miserable than they made it out to be. Yes, and yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah, a little bit. All right, number two. If you want him, come and claim him. Was there a Liv Tyler role in the movie? I'll say no. Yes, I will say yes. Oh. It was completely extraneous, completely worthless, took up about five to ten minutes of the movie total in two different areas. It was the whole scene with, the, there's a scene with the nun when they're storming the city. She shoots at one of Hawkwood's men. He slashes her, wounds her in the head. And then she has these convulsions because she's been badly wounded. And then he's got her, he retires and is living with her. And then we never see her again. Uh, I, I have to differ. That That to me was the... The relationship there was what was showing that Hawkwood basically has a soul and a heart and he's trying to do the right thing. If, if not for those things, Hawkwood would just be a total SOB. Instead, I think that added a layer of you know personality well, to Hawkwood. I'd be fine with that. 
He could be a total SOB. He was a professional. Yeah, but I didn't. I I liked the fact he wasn't. Yeah. Mm. And she didn't do anything. She just flopped around and screamed. Well, she 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 did. Well, that's. Let me I brain mean, you in the head with a broadsword and see what you do for the next couple well, of weeks. Well, go all right. When we get together in August for 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 Gen Con, then after a few beers, I'll probably be reenacting that. But yeah. oh wow, jeez. All right, let's see next one. Could the female role be better played by Tony Katane? In 85, she could have pulled it off. Now, she, in 85, would have had more of what we were complaining about earlier, of the whole Hollywood modern look about her. But I think she could have pulled it off. Yep, I agree. But better? No. No. Now, Rebecca de Mornay could have been an interesting twist, as we mentioned earlier. But Tawny Katane could have done this movie. Yes. All right. All right, next. Was there an eighteen montage in this movie? I have a thought on that, but I'm curious to hear from Ken. Well, you, I I didn't really see one, so what do you think? I, I'm thinking we kind of get A-teamish with the whole building of the siege engine. Oh, because yeah. Because it happens almost overnight. This is something that would have taken weeks to create. Well, take the wheels off the wagons and this and that and the other thing. It, it, yeah. It's very A-teamish. No, you, you're exactly right. It's the whole thing like they're doing stuff. I mean, you can see right. that we, got, we have a complicated plan and we have various right. people doing their parts. And then the next thing is this thing is rolling across the fields. You're like, what the hell is that? Right. It's very so that, that, that's eight. That's classic A-team. Yeah. Nice. Very well done. All right, gentlemen. Last and certainly not least. And so it begins. Was there a Babylon 5 reference in this movie? I did not find one. Oh my gosh. I dug deep too, and there is nothing. No. Didn't find one. No. 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 A lot of, you had a lot of European actors, Dutch, Italian, Spanish. Um, I, I dug, and I'm like you, but there are no B5 references in this movie. Nope, nothing. Bupkis. Bupkis. <laughs> All right, there you go, folks. That is it with the uh, the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist. We're now moving on to the Man Cave Movie Review of this great fantastic film. So what, Ken, Mark, which one? I'll take it. I'll take it. All right, go. Go for it. Um... Our, for our listeners, real quick, we have not delved much deeply into this movie because many people have probably not seen it. It It is streaming on Netflix, so if you want to catch it, we recommend you do catch it. Uh, it, it. It is a throwback, as you have no, as we have all noted, to a unique period and shows the brutality of the period. Some great character actors and Paul Verhoeven probably, in some respects, at the top of his game. It does drag in, in parts, but it is very gritty. Um, it can be uncomfortable to watch. I will say the actors do a solid job. Some are better than others, as we have noted. Costumes are great. The 
cinematography is typical of the 80s, which is um, not great, but not bad. We, If you've listened to our podcast, you've heard us lament or comment um, or opine, however you wish to view it, uh, about that uh, cinematography of the period. However, the, the sets and the the locations are terrific, especially the castles. Um, it, it is an interesting movie about a period of time little known. There are no black hats. There are no white hats. Um, you kind of wonder why you're rooting for some people, and then you kind of wonder why you're rooting for others. Uh, so it, it is a conflicting movie in that respect, but the actors do a very good job with what they're given. Um, there are some parts where you kind of will sit there and go, really? But that doesn't take away from the general feel of the movie. It's an interesting and compelling story after a fashion about a mercenary band that uh, takes matters into their own hands and the outcomes of their decisions. And these are not very smart people, but they're cunning. Uh, it, it, it's... It's well, it's well done, all in all. I think it could have probably been edited down by about 10 to 15 minutes. There are things that are extraneous or drag a bit. There, there is sexual situations, and probably this is, I think this might be the first movie where we've really had full frontal nudity that we've reviewed. Um, yeah. I, I think it is. Uh, but it, it is an interesting movie. Uh, I like it. It's, it's, Definitely cult status. Uh, the fighting scenes are very gritty. Some of them are a bit, you, you go, really? Um, did you guys go to the Imperial Stormtrooper School of um, <laughs> Combat? Uh, but you'll understand if you see it. Um, but nonetheless, it, it, it's a good movie. Uh, not a great movie, but a good movie and definitely worth watching. If you're a Rucker Hauer fan, this is Rucker Hauer at the top of his game. He he does a great job. Um, so I'm going to say, all in all, Paul Verhoeven, very well done in his directorial efforts. Uh, you've got mainly strong actors, great cinema, great, great sets, great uh, locations, good music by Basil Polydorus, um, who did Conan, uh, cult classic, if you haven't seen it. And I'm, I'm going to give this a seven and three quarters, 7.75, a very solid offering. And if you like this period, if you like sword, if you like the medieval period and you, you enjoy these actors, uh, you will not be disappointed in any way, shape or form. 7.75. Well, I'll tell you what, I second the motion 7.75 because Mark, that's exactly what I was going to give it. Ken? I was I maybe just give it a slightly better grade. I was going to give it a solid eight, but wow. for all the reasons Mark specified. All right, nice guys. Like Mark said, can't go wrong. It's an awesome movie. Awesome movie. All right, so there you go. You've got the review. That is it with the Man Cave Movie Review, episode one fifty two. And you can look for us on. Um, ManCaveMovieReview.com. Look for us on Facebook at Stitcher. And follow us on Twitter at ManCaveMovieReview. So until next week.
I am your host, Steve Michael, signing off with my very good and dear friend, Mark. Hey, has anyone seen my dog, Slover? I think I found part of my dog in the well. You know what? That was a lot of dog they kept throwing over. That dog no was... shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, was that an Irish wolfhound they cut up? Because it sure wasn't an Irish wolfhound who was in the movie. <laughs> I know. That was like, they kept flinging things over. I'm like, I don't remember right. that dog being that big. But that's all right. But go go see the movie, guys. <laughs> You'll understand. Absolutely. And also saying farewell, no, farewell and adieu and wiedersehen is our other good and dear friend, Ken. Where's my codpiece, Ronnie? My statue of St. Kenneth is pointing towards bed. So, bone <laughs> swap. Nice! <laughs> nice! Oh, gosh. Go see the movie. You'll know what it means. Yeah. All right, folks. Hope you enjoyed the show. Stay tuned to us uh, next week or the week after. Until then, ciao.